This is Soundstage founder Doug Schneider. You're listening to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, your semi-regular deep dive into news, facts, opinions, and anecdotes about everything that really matters in the world of high-performance audio. Hosts Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger have more than five decades worth of audio product testing experience and a few hours of podcasting experience as well. Now, here's Brent and Dennis. Hello. I'm Brent Butterworth, editor of Soundstage Solo. And I'm Dennis Berger, editor of Soundstage Access. And we are here to bring you the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, episode like a zillion 20. or something. It's 20. 20. Okay, 20. It's our 20th 20 episode, man. There's yeah. no definition for a zillion, so I'm, we're both right. <laughs> um, so yeah. anyway, we are here to, as part of the Soundstage Network, which is a a network of, I think, nine mega sites. Is that right? Microsites, and I believe they call them. That right. Well, we think they're kind of mega micro because they're okay. all big and awesome and have tons of content. But it's a whole bunch of those all together. So it's a Doesn't mega that mega. Cancel out. Doesn't mega and micro wouldn't that just make it a site? Okay, yeah, they're just sites. <laughs> Whatever. They're just good sites about audio. But you can go and read about yeah. everything from like really cheap little Bluetooth speakers yeah. all the way up to half million dollar speaker systems and stuff like that. And catch up all the on all the latest news and audio, some of which we'll be discussing today. What are we gonna start with this week, man? Well, we're gonna start with a review and less not really a discussion of the review, more a discussion of the claims the manufacturer makes that the review turned us on to. Then we went to their website. Then we went to their AES paper, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a review of the Lavardin or Lavardin. 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 Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Uh, ITX20 integrated amp by Alan Sircom at Hi-Fi Plus. And they are making a lot of claims in here that, that initially kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit. As a measurement guy, as a guy who's done a lot of audio measurements in his life, I was looking at the statements in here going like, uh, this doesn't make sense to me. I need to investigate further. And we did investigate further, and the results may surprise you. (laughs) They they might not. (laughs) Well, they might not. Um, (laughs) Or do we have have anything after that? We have a second segment coming up, right? We do. So Spotify has been claiming since sometime around the Carter administration, I believe, that they had a a lossless plan coming, uh, Spotify Hi-Fi. Well, apparently they are getting closer to that, and some details have leaked out about perhaps the features of this new tier, as well as the pricing of this new tier. And I think uh, you and I, my friend, will have some opinions about um, some of this news if it turns out to be true, and if it as if it is as imminent as it seems to be. So, which with but, Spotify, who knows? Yeah. No. So, what are we going to wrap up with this week? We are going to wrap up with a discussion of Soundstage Global's coverage of the recent Warsaw Hi-Fi show. I think they call it the the audio video show Warsaw. You wouldn't think Warsaw would be like on the radar. Warsaw's in Poland, by the way, for anybody who doesn't know. But you wouldn't think Warsaw would be like, be like on the radar of the audio industry. But this is, I think, the second biggest show in Europe now. And yeah. I have been, and it's awesome. And they have a uh, uh, Doug Schneider, our founder, and Jason Thorpe, one of our writers, went and dug through all the different offerings, a lot of which are really different from what you will see in the U.S. So we're going to dig into a couple things that we saw in their coverage. Yeah, but first... Okay, so let's go ahead and dig into this review a little bit. Again, this is the Le Valdin. 
L-A-V-A-R-D-I-N, ITX20 integrated amp. The reviews by Alan Sircom of Hi-Fi Plus. And I've met Alan a couple times. He's a great guy, and I like reading his reviews. They're really well-written and kind of fun to read. Um, so we're not criticizing him at all. We are, but, but there's a lot of claims made in the context of this review and then on the manufacturer's website that kind of, I think, highlight a lot of the problems in the audio industry right now, certainly the high-end audio industry, because yeah. some of these claims are just wackadoodle. And it, that's my personal, you know, really, judgment. That's a, that's a kind <laughs> way of putting it. There, yeah. Some of them are, I mean, some of them may have been kind of valid about 25 years ago. Um, well, and the but, thing is, like, if they're not, if this isn't wackadoodle, then it, then they are describing it badly <laughs> because it sounds wackadoodle, you know? Right. That's so the problem. What, so, Dennis, all right, we're going to, normally, like, one of us kind of leads the discussion on mm -hmm. a segment and the other kind of asks questions. But yeah. in this case, I think since we're both so kind of, uh, shall we say, energized about this. We are going to yeah. go, this is going to be like a, a team up of Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla, <laughs> which who were, of course, enemies in the movie. But, you know, yeah. they team up together to yeah. stomp upon the little Japanese town of like four foot high cardboard <laughs> models, which are frankly, in some cases, sturdier than the arguments presented for this technology. Whatever. <laughs> With a purposeful grimace and a terrible sound, let's describe what this thing <laughs> claims to be. Um, Why don't you go ahead? Jump in. So the review says that uh, Le Valdin suggests that it has found a form of solid-state distortion it calls memory distortion. It goes on to explain most measurement of audio amplifiers is performed either using an impulse or a steady state waveform like a sine wave, but argues Levardin, this completely ignores real world conditions where music happens. Um, so it goes on to explain this memory distortion and this memory free technology that the manufacturer has developed doesn't really explain a lot of what it does or how it works. <laughs> there is there is one point in the review where he even says, you know, naturally these are both proprietary technologies and the controversial nature of those memory effects claims makes memory-free technology unique to Leverdan despite its suggestion that this is the biggest revelation in audio amplifier technology in decades. However, Leverdan is also remarkably, remarkably secretive about its circuit design. So anyway, yeah, basically what he's saying is there's just some, there's something magic going on here. There's magic black box stuff and it fixes time thingy wingies. And I don't know, it sounds better, you know? Okay, but we've, um, we've already missed a big red flag here because okay. what, the sentence that you did not read is after, after the part that, uh, you know, talking about, you know, it, it ignores real world conditions where music happens, mm -hmm. dot, dot, dot. By not mm -hmm. factoring in the time element in measurement and mm -hmm. subsequently amplifier design. Okay, red flag right there because... It says right there, measurement is performed using either an impulse or a steady state waveform like a sine wave. What is an impulse measurement? <laughs> it's a time it a measurement. Time measurement. You, have a, yes. you have some kind of a thing. Either it's going to be a, a log chirp tone, which is like whoop, mm -hmm. or it's going to be uh, an MLS pulse, which is you know, noise. Yeah. And, um, you know, that measures time. And if you look at the, the readout of that, you see... The time result of the, you know, you see a, an impulse. It's like a pulse that goes up and you can see how it, 
response over time. And it's measured in, you know, milliseconds. Yeah. It is a time measurement. And something that's – this is why I think every reviewer needs to know a little bit about measurement. Otherwise, you are helpless in the hands of these manufacturers who, who, who are trying to sell their stuff. And since they assume you don't know anything about measurement, they will tell you stuff that's either flat out wrong or in this case is – in this case, about 25 years out of date and, and try to persuade you when you should know better. You don't have to – spend years doing measurements, but you, you need to, you know, go read, read like John Atkinson stuff in Stereophile and go back, read, read a couple years worth of that. And you'll understand mm -hmm. audio measurements pretty well at that point. And you yeah. won't be fooled by things like this. Okay. Yeah. You don't have to physically do the measurements, but you got to be cognizant of what's going on here. So there's, there's a thing called an FFT, fast Fourier transform. And Fourier was a scientist when did he live? Like in the 1800s? Oh, it had to have been like the <laughs> 1980s or something. Yeah, no, like, it's real or notorious for getting edge stuff. wrong. <laughs> cutting edge stuff. Like this guy, wait, uh, no, he's not. <laughs> no, this, this guy, this, this, this dude was, was like somebody who had some beakers or something. It was yeah, like pouring. Yeah. That's how he did his audio experiments with like beakers and boilers and stuff. <laughs> I don't even know and, if they'd invented beakers yet. And like yet. Tesla coils and stuff like that. Wait, we should, we should probably look it up. When we was probably Fourier. Look Fourier. it up. Joseph Fourier. Uh, oh, born 21st March, 1768. Okay, so this is relative news to the audio it's industry. A, this <laughs> anyway. is pretty new stuff. Yeah, these anyway, are recent look, developments. All the measurement gear. Well, first of all, here's a concept for you. A fast Fourier time or a fast Fourier transform. You can convert time into frequency or mm -hmm. you can do a reverse FFT and convert frequency into time. And mm -hmm. measurement systems going back at least 30 years have been able to do this. You had the old LMS system, which was a frequency-based measurement. It would go boop and then measure the level of that. And then it go boop and measure mm -hmm. the level of that frequency. And then, but it could convert that into a time measurement. Okay. And the Clio analyzer I use, which is mostly FFT based, although it also does sine wave, um, you know, it it sends out one of those tones like I did, like a boop or a pshht, and there's a little button on Clio and it'll go back and forth like instantaneously between frequency and time, you know, boop, mm -hmm. boop, boop, boop. And so frequency it allows you to, uh, one of the things that's really cool about it is it allows you when you're basically just looking at a waveform, right? When mm -hmm. you, when you are looking at an audio waveform, you can't, well, I mean, maybe if you spend a lot of time with it, you could start to see, oh, those are base frequencies. Those are mid-range frequencies, what have you. But like you're looking at it, you don't really see that. And what the fast Fourier transform does is basically transforms those in such a way where you can see, oh, there's this much 25 hertz. There's this much 47 hertz, right? So it, it yeah. allows you to basically take a, a waveform that you can't, you can just kind of tell some stuff about it and really see how the frequencies are distributed. So, yeah, but don't, this is a, really a, this is a, a I'm going to call it a trick that manufacturers pull a lot in audio is everyone understands frequency response, right? Like, oh, it's minus six at 32 hertz and it's, you know, plus three at one kilohertz or whatever. Everyone had, mm -hmm. I mean, I understood that stuff when I was in high school, right? It's very intuitive. Phase is extremely unintuitive. So a lot of manufacturers will say, oh, well, the frequency response is important, but the phase, you know, we focus on the phase. And there are legitimate people who have focused on phase 
for for I think good reasons. I mean, Jim Teal was the classic example. I mean, he yeah. was the the founder, co-founder of Teal Loudspeakers. He devoted his whole life to getting his speakers to where the the phase was the same at all frequencies. Okay, mm-hmm. and in my I don't think he ever presented actual like listening tests that showed that was better. However, I heard those speakers, and a lot of people did, and a lot of people, you know, like like Vandersteens as well, which are similar. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a reason that those speakers sound good. They have a lot of, you know, downsides. There's a lot of compromise you have to make to get the phase to be the same at all frequencies, more or less, yeah. plus minus 5%, I think. You know, so there's legitimate use of phase. But mm-hmm. I think I usually if people start talking about time and phase in audio, that should be a giant red flag. Oh, they need God, to ex- yeah. they need to explain what they're talking about and they need to show you controlled listening tests that prove that whatever they're doing with the phase makes a difference. Don't let it be some guy sitting there in his underwear drinking scotch listening yeah. casually to you know Diana Crawl on your system and yeah. going like oh yeah they're right god this thing sounds great it must be this phase thing they're talking about which is that is the state of audio reviewing now one of and, the biggest bugbears is pre-ringing you know it's uh, when you're talking about the yeah. difference between like linear phase and minimum phase filters a lot of people say oh the linear you know it creates pre-ringing and that's 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 you can hear signal before the actual impulse and it's like <laughs> Well, though, the, not if it's like negative 90 dB down, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. like, it's so low in this signal that you can't hear it, but it's, oh, it's unnatural. And for anybody who doesn't understand and for anybody who does care, linear phase is basically a way. So, so anytime you do, you know, EQ or high pass or low pass or something like that, you were, you were introducing delay into it into the situation. Right. And so linear phase basically evenly distributes the delay and what that, what happens is sometimes you've got, you know, your impulse delayed a little bit and you can hear things before it. Whereas the minimum phase puts all of the ringing, so to speak, after the yeah. impulse, now, but anyway, we, you can't, we, you can't, you can't hear it. We, <laughs> you can't we hear really it. should, it's, we should point out, we hound manufacturers all the time saying like, well, Hey, why don't you prove your, your claims with a controlled listening test, which almost none of them do. Mm-hmm. And, However, there is there this actually there is an AES paper that these guys filed back in 1996. Mm-hmm. And you know, in 1996 actually like like fast Fourier transform based measurements were not that common. It was still, you know, basically sign sweeps on a lot of stuff. However, you know, the the I I have one of the audio precision analyzers from that era whatever the state of the art one was at the time. And it, it, it was mostly sign based, but it also had FFT as well. So you could measure time with it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, granted, but however, we're 25 years down the road and these guys website is, it's almost like it was written in 1996. <laughs> um, stuff has happened yeah. since then. Okay. You can't pretend yeah. nothing, you know, your great discovery hasn't been, you know, bypassed by 25 years worth of engineering and science. But they do have this AES paper. And we're, you know, we're always, I'm always hounding people like, hey, you know what? You have these claims that you're telling me are true. Why don't you do an AES paper on it and present it? And they never do. These guys did. Now, it was, it was 20, what is that? 26 years, 27 years ago? It's a long time ago. But they actually said, (laughs) they have a very short, um, one, two, three, four, five sentence section. 
that says correlation with listening tests. And it says several listening tests were made with the measured AC amplifiers in different conditions with different, different listeners. They gave the same results. How many listeners? <laughs> what results? I, well, I, you know, where, who were these listeners? How were they all 80? <laughs> was, it, yeah. was it guys sitting there in their underwear drinking scotch? Or was it people in, a, in blind listening conditions where they couldn't tell what amplifier was playing? Were the levels matched? What was the system they were playing it through? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This has zero credibility. And what should be happening is when manufacturers make these kind of claims, you as I think audio writers and and also and you know all the people that write about this stuff the 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 hundreds of thousands maybe millions of people that write a, that that are participating in audio forums and stuff should go look this stuff up now granted I'm an AES member so I could download this paper and most people aren't going to spend the 120 something a month to be an AES or not not a month <laughs> oh my god what? 120 something a year to be an AES member um, but I get it. I do it just basically so I can just freely download all these papers. And but but you really should be no matter if you're a reviewer or if you're an audio forum participant, you should be questioning these claims because the high-end audio industry makes a lot of these claims assuming you will not check them out and assuming that you will not demand evidence that their technology makes a difference. Yeah, because such evidence is almost never presented, and no. also assuming that you're not going to scrutinize their methodology. I mean, it's it's right. the point to where when you said, "Oh, there's an AES paper," I was like, "Huh? Well, dang, maybe there's something to this," you know. And then I go and look at their methodology, and it's just sort of hand wavy. Well, I don't know. Some people listened to it, and they said it was pretty good, man. And that was our listening test. It's it's no, no. That's a good. That's a good <laughs> French accent there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway oh man yeah <laughs> it's like it's like was their marketing director from alabama <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry i'll put on my best french accent no don't piece of love no that's all right that's Pepe don't make fun of so. the french it's one of my favorite countries it's the only language that i that i can converse in outside of english and oh. And they have like the best food of any country. So anyway, um, by and also Pepe Le Pew is one of my favorite cartoon characters. So. Well, and there's a lot of, and there, and also let's say there are a lot of great, great, great audio companies out of France. And, you know, Focal is the very first one most people would think of. Um, also a lot of really good bread. Yeah, true. Um, but anyway, this amplifier may be wonderful. It may indeed. Mm -hmm. uh, no, Probably is. Granted, they've been touting this technology for 25-plus years. And so you – I always think like, well, if it's so great, why isn't everybody doing it? Because um, any patents they would have had would have expired. But, but you know, how many people couldn't have reverse engineered whatever they're doing? Um, because – but the thing is, they don't present enough information for anybody to reverse engineer anything. I mean, they're saying this memory effect, which they're saying is causing these timing problems – is due to thermal variation in circuits, which of course happens. Mm -hmm. It's due to, you know, capacitors and inductors, which that's what capacitors and inductors do. Mm -hmm. They introduce timing differences, which by the way, also frequency differences. But that's that's in, you're not going to make a capacitor that doesn't introduce timing differences. It's what they're supposed to do. That's why you use one. Yeah. And so- and you know, you know, it's like, yeah, so so thermal fluctuations will affect 
what a resistor does, for example. But you know what? Why don't you document, you know, show it. Show us an impulse response and say, hey, we heated this resistor up. We got it running really hot. And here was the impulse response, but then we cooled it down and here was the impulse response. And how many, you know, how many fractions of a millisecond was the difference? It was not a lot. Um, I mean, I could do that test. I think my measurement gear would would be able to to go in tiny fractions of a millisecond like that. But, uh, you know, it wouldn't be something that's audible. I mean, I see, I see timing differences all the time. Cause you know, I look at, I publish impulse response measurements in, uh, in soundstage a lot for all the, you know, Bluetooth stuff and all that. And, and of course I look at the impulse response measurements every time I do a, a you know, a waterfall plot because mm-hmm. that's done off of the impulse response. And, yeah. and I have to go in there and gate the impulse response. So I see these things constantly. And <sighs> sorry, I'm just ranting too much. I just found out there is a patent. Really? US, U.S. patent number 56358740, June 3rd, 1997. Okay, so, well, you know what? The maybe patent we should have looked at this before. We well, maybe we, maybe we should have. However, <laughs> if it was so great, the patent's expired, is it not? Oh. Patents from 15 years, if I remember correctly. That sounds right. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, for God's yeah. sake, the patent on Dolby Digital is expired. And that's wow. from about the and it expired a long time ago. That's one of the reasons they did Dolby Digital Plus. So they could extend their patent. Um, uh, patents expire in twenty years. Yeah, yeah. So if it was so great, somebody would have picked it up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Bose's patent on uh, I think Bose had a patent on fourth order bandpass. Is that correct? Hmm. No, sixth order bandpass, which is where you have two. You have a woofer and you have a vented enclosure on both ends of the woofer. Mm. And so Bose actually had a patent on it. Whether or not that patent would have actually held up in court, I don't know. I don't think anyone ever challenged it. But it came off patent. However, it wasn't appealing enough technology for anyone to actually use. I don't know if anyone, maybe somebody did. But like, you know, if this was so great, then people would have been chomping at the bit to like (laughs) waiting for the patent to expire as people do. Yeah, to to go jump on it and do their own version. Except this hasn't happened, and yeah. and you know if you did a hey, you know guys, Lavaudin, um, look, you can comp- you we will personally apologize if you, you know, do a blind listening test and and publicly post the results and make it a controlled test, blind test, match levels, etc. Do that. And then also, you know, send us one of your amps and we'll compare it to something and we'll do our yeah. own blind test. Yeah. And yeah. which again, it's like you said before, that we are not claiming that this amp doesn't sound incredible. You know, no. it's just what we're claiming is the marketing spin doesn't <laughs> doesn't pass the sniff tests. So, right. And audio and it, audio writers yeah. should sniff a little harder. Yeah. Instead of or, instead of holding their nose and refusing to sniff. Or like I said before, you just say, hey, this is what the manufacturer claims. And I don't really understand it enough to, you know, validate it or invalidate it. But here's what they're claiming and here's what I heard and here's, you know, what the measurements show. So, yeah, I mean, I do that all the time. I say, you know, with like a headphone review or something, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, this new driver does this and this and this. And I'll say, well, you know, they make all these claims. I didn't see any of it in my measurements. I didn't necessarily hear, you know, greater inner detail or whatever. However, 
<laughs> here's what I thought of the sound of this headphone. Yeah. Independent yeah. of their claims. And it might be a good headphone. It might be bad. But I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, my gosh, this has this new blah, blah technology that, you know, the phase, the timing, because every other manufacturer ignores this. But these guys are so brilliant because they do this and blah, blah, something or another. And I just thought this headphone was fantastic. I just, you know, it's like you should say, hey, look, man, here's their claims. Yeah. They make sense. They don't make sense. And, you know, to, to, to the yeah. best of my understanding, here's what I think of their claims. But then I'm going to go listen to the product. I mean, I think a rite of passage for any journalist is that's that day that you discover Oh crap, these people are trying to sell me on their marketing spin and it might not be true, right? And I just <laughs> unfortunately think a lot of people in their industry never had that revelation. You know, it's just Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why more people you like have you not gotten burned before by a bad market? I have. I mean, it happened early in my career. I got burned and then after that, I was automatically suspicious. Perhaps more than it should be sometimes. I don't know, but well, yeah, you have to wonder why, why some of these guys have not gotten burned. Cause they haven't been mentored. Mm, that's true. I had a mentor. I had Lance Braithwaite at video magazine. And mm. I think the very first word Lance said to me after he said, hi, nice to meet you was no. <laughs> <laughs> was when I was probably asking him like, Hey, this guy says this VCR does something like that. And let's be like, no, <laughs> <laughs> oh man and everybody who well, knows lance will <laughs> will know exactly yeah. what i'm talking about and I, I received that wisdom secondhand from my sensei you yeah well it's like yeah and, and, and i just i had someone who was highly skeptical of everybody's claims mm. and but i mean he was forgiving he was he was like you know hey i understand where they're coming from i understand the limits of what they can do and mm -hmm. You know, maybe their claims are BS, but this here's how this thing performs, and it's a perfectly fine product, or it's not. But yeah, he would just absolutely not go along with parroting anything. Man, we have been Thanks, rambling Lance. for a long time here. Yeah, we let's go talk about Spotify. Let's go. Let's have some music and then come back and talk about Spotify. We'll do it. We'll be right back. Back to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. I'm Dennis Berger. And I'm Brent Butterworth. And in this segment, we are going to be talking about a story that I ran across on Tech Radar about Spotify um, finally, apparently, readying their high-res audio quote unquote platinum plan. Hmm. It's about time. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. So this was originally announced. Spotify Hi-Fi. I think they announced it back in early 2021, and they said it would 
uh, be released by the end of 2021. And for any of our listeners who who maybe don't understand the distinction here, let's, let's talk about lossy audio and lossless audio. So do you you think that's worth talking about? Yeah. Dig in. I think everybody knows what kind of an MP3 is, you know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's basically they've taken uh, a a audio format like CD, right. And they've taken and, and applied some psychoacoustic, uh, uh, algorithms to it to basically determine like, what can we get rid of here that you're not going to hear or that you are less likely to hear. And then they take and run it through some other processing that, that quantizes it. And it kind of works in a similar way to video compression, but it makes the files much smaller. And for I mean, most of the last 20 years, most of the music that we've consumed has been this, you know, digitally compressed mm-hmm. lossy, uh, audio format. So when all of the streaming services originally launched, of course, they were using lossy audio basically because, you know, you want to get the audio over the internet and not everybody had high internet speeds. But in recent years, services like Tidal and Cobuzz have come around introducing lossless. So you're getting yeah. full CD quality or higher, high resolution. And, and, um, and also Apple Music and Amazon both as well. I was about to say, they after, after you know, Cobuzz and Tidal came about, they, they also said, okay, fine, we're doing lossless as well. And Spotify is one of the few remaining, you know, major players in the streaming music uh, marketplace who's still doing nothing but lossy. And they, mm-hmm. they announced about a year ago, oh, t- nearly two years ago, okay, we're doing hi-fi. It still ain't out yet, but apparently recently there was a, um, a Spotify user who was planning to ditch the service and move over to Apple music because he wanted the, their spatial audio and their, uh, lossless and Spotify sent him an email back that said, Hey, would you be interested in a platinum plan that might be launching in the next month? And Mm. here's what all is included. And it is. $20 $20 a month, <laughs> you know, okay. which I think that's probably, we're bearing the lead here. I think that's the biggest news. So Spotify is finally catching up with everybody else in terms of, 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 um, you know, introducing lossless audio, uncompressed audio, but they're charging quite the premium. Um, I think what's Cobuzz is, I think 1599 a month. Is that no, right? It's less than that. They, they knocked it down. I think it's 1299 a month now. 1299 a month. And Apple recently went to, you told me they've raised their prices by a buck, but it's like 1099. And now Spotify is coming along and basically saying, well, we think people are going to pay 20 bucks for this. Yeah. Now, that's now they not have, all they have other stuff in there. They have other, they other do. doodads, undefined doodads, some of which we can figure out what they are just from the name. Right. So the first two doodads are hi-fi and studio sound. I, I don't know what the distinction between those would be. Um, then they're going to have a headphone tuner, which I think is potentially interesting, I mean, mm-hmm. especially if, they, if they've actually measured a number of, of headphones the way, you know, something like Sonarworks has, um, maybe, maybe it's something like that. I don't know. They're not what's giving the, you any details, so we use, can only you, speculate. Yeah, you, you use some kind of a plugin that does that because of the uh, M? Yes, from Tone Boosters. It's called Morphit. Yeah. Um, and they have hundreds of headphones. And the interesting yeah, thing so about that, that is you can, kind of interesting. yeah, you can emulate the sound, well, as close as possible, emulate the frequency response and phase characteristics of any headphone with any other in their database. Is yeah. Spotify doing that? I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's some sort of headphone tuner. Um, 
then they all, they have something called Library Pro, Playlist Pro, and I have no idea what those might be. Oh, I have and no Audio idea. Insights. Audio Insights. Yeah. But they, they already do Audio Insights. Like at the end of the year, they send you this thing and here's what you listen to the most. Oh, and true. But here, here here's my thought. Here's my mm-hmm. thought. I think they're going to basically do the headphone tuner. They're, I, I think I think studio sound is probably immersive on some level. Who knows if it's real Atmos or if it's just some fake algorithm they, they came up with. Um, mm-hmm. Headphone tuner is kind of obvious. But I think maybe Audio Insights, Library Pro, and Playlist Pro are uh, rune-like features. Oh, wouldn't that be something smart for them to do? And that's oh, that, that's something that, I mean, people pay 10 bucks a month for Rune right now, right? Yeah. You, you were the first person to have any real insight into what those features might be, at least as far as I've well, heard. But that makes sense. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Brent Butterworth. That's true. That's so. true. Formerly magazines, Brent Butterworth. Yeah. <laughs> now just the internet's Brent Butterworth. The internet's Brent Butterworth. That's, I still that's write for jazz that times. They still print like, that thing, so. Oh, okay. You're still magazine sprint. Yeah, I'm still magazine a little bit. Well, just move the apostrophe from the end of the S to before the S. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, that actually that might be what it is. And then limited ad Spotify podcast. So I guess you can listen to their podcast with limited ad. I don't know. I've been listening to Bjork's podcast on Spotify, and I didn't notice any ads. So I don't know what limited hmm. ads would be. But anyway, do you think people are going to pay twenty bucks for this, man? Oh, it's tough to say. I, I, I think mm-hmm. this is probably not as, uh, I kind of looked at this and thought like, oh, I'm just going to get rid of Spotify because I could, you know, mm-hmm. I just have Spotify because it's the biggest service. I'm a musician. I kind of need to know what's going on on that service. I have a release out. Actually, I have kind of two releases out now. But, mm. um, you know, I should know what's going on with that service. So when I talk to my record company people you know it's like but however uh i was sitting there thinking like i have cobas i have which mm-hmm. i love but and i have spotify but i can get apple for well 10.99 now and it basically has the you know maybe not as much high res content as cobas but still lots mm-hmm. of high res it's got immersive which i care about as a reviewer <laughs> maybe not mm-hmm. as a not as a music lover and then and it's cheaper so it's kind of like it gives me everything i want so i, I have to reassess I, my which of these streaming services i really want to continue with i love the spotify family plan i have to say and i really love being able to swap playlists back and forth with my daughter you know mm-hmm. my, my daughter daughter lives a thousand miles away <laughs> you know i don't get to see her very frequently but we yeah. get to share music with one another really easily that's awesome but yeah i think it's it's like i don't know man it's it's there's the whole thing where you know a, a lot of times the reason they offer like a medium-sized drink that's such a bad value is because people mm-hmm. look at it and go well screw it i'm just gonna get the large yeah. but in this case it's like i'm looking at the large going i don't want to eat her anymore <laughs> Like this yeah. just seems like a bad value. I don't know, but they'll still have the nine ninety nine plan. And, yeah. and uh, as my friends on the Your Morning Coffee podcast pointed out, they were the ones that hit me to the fact that Apple was rising, raising their prices, and Amazon mm-hmm. also is too. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that those services are going up a buck, and 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 YouTube is as well. So mm-hmm. it gives Spotify room to raise their regular tier from nine ninety nine to ten ninety nine, and they've been at nine ninety nine for ten years now. Well, that's so 
they got room to raise it. They would be justified in raising it. Maybe they pay artists a smidgen more. Probably um, not. They've got yacht payments to make. Oh, they, they do. They probably they probably <laughs> devote X percent. They let's, look. Let's say they devote ten percent of that price raise to paying more to artists, which wouldn't amount to much. We, you know, we're it, take two is still not up to its first penny in revenue from Spotify. Wow! So, wow! <laughs> I don't think so. Are any um, of these things turning a profit? Do you know? There's so many of these things these days, these ubiquitous services that we think are making a gazillion dollars, and they're yeah. just bleeding money. Uber Eats makes no money. DoorDash makes no money. Like, they're, they're just hemorrhaging money. So I'm wondering, does Spotify make money? Do they actually turn a profit? I think they do. do. And because okay. um, as the Your Morning Coffee guys were going into it, they one of the reasons why they might do a price hike is that they – uh, you know, their earnings have been under pressure. So they are, they're earning something, whether or not they're making a profit. You know, there's all these sorts of financial accounting in here, which I can understand if I dig into it, but I don't know. And I'm not conversant with it. But um, their point was that, uh, you know, Spotify has spent so much money on podcasting and, and they were transparent with shareholders. They said, look, we're spending a fortune on podcasting. We think that's going to eventually have higher margins than music does which is not mm. saying that much. But they said, look, we're going to be, you know, we're spending so much on this and we're not going to see any return on it for a couple of years. So their earnings are down because of that. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to guess they're probably making some money, but, you know, they have to change and, and go with the, as the guys on Your Morning Coffee keep saying, uh, and they're both like guys who are in the music industry for 30 years or so, they keep saying every week the music industry changes significantly. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you have pressure from TikTok as well, which TikTok is in many ways eating all these guys' lunches. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's so weird. I just can't wrap my brain I can't, around I that. I can't man. either because I get on TikTok and I'm just like, get me off here now. <laughs> I don't get on TikTok. I was raised better than that. Well, I go to see, I go to see, I went to see in the last six months, I've been on TikTok to see a video I did for mm-hmm. uh, another publication that shall that remain. a really renamed. good video. Yeah. And, and a video that uh, uh, our friend Lauren Dragon did for Wirecutter. Um, and so I went to see her video, which was about eardrum suck, you know, the, the headphone the noise canceling headphone mm-hmm. phenomenon and immediately like right after that of course her video is like a minute it goes to some just idiot video some woman doing some stupid thing in her in her living room or something it's like i don't why would anybody want to watch this hold on man you're <sighs> starting to sound your age we better <laughs> i am my age <laughs> we better wrap this up yeah let's move uh, on to our next segment shall we so spotify what's your what's your prediction uh, my prediction, I don't know. I mean, it's, we, we don't have any confirmation of this. We have an email sent to one dude on Reddit. Mm-hmm. It, it could Open be the sort me. of thing. Yeah. One of the, one of the things is, you know, a lot of times in politics, like people will leak stuff like this just to see what the reaction is. Oh, sure. And then they'll yeah. like change their policy as a result. This could be Spotify testing the waters. This, mm-hmm. this could have been Spotify going, yeah, if we send this email to this dude, it'll end up on uh, tech radar, <laughs> you know? And then, and then we could see how outraged people are by, you it know, 20 be. bucks for a headphone tuner. Um, it could be that, 
you know, the, the, the rumor was, and this was, this was posted on sometime in the middle of October, a couple of weeks ago, the prediction was that it would be within the next 30 days. So as we're recording this, supposedly this is going to happen in the next two weeks. We will see. Huh. But if it drops at 1999, I think I'm going to be calling my daughter and being like, Hey, can we, let's, let's switch over to Amazon music. <laughs> You know, because that's just a line too far for me. Okay. I have my prediction. Number one, they go to ten ninety nine a month since everybody else did. Um, not everybody else, but Apple did. Their biggest competitor. Well, no, YouTube's their biggest competitor, but YouTube's so unlike all the rest of these guys that it doesn't matter. Yeah. So uh, they go to ten ninety nine a month for the regular service. No one's going to squawk about that. And they have this upgraded service, which has actually some features that seem like maybe they're kind of cool that... But unlike, say, Apple, which just added, like, you know, immersive sound, they're adding a whole bunch of stuff that may have some real appeal to some people. And they may say, like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. I'd like that for 20 bucks a month. I mean, so I think, and, you know, kudos to them for actually thinking their way through the problem instead of actually going, like, yeah, we'll just put, you know, (laughs) CD quality sound or high res or something there like everybody else. And we'll add immersive like everybody else. They're actually trying to do some stuff that, will appeal to people. So I, I'm interested in the headphone tuner. I want to see how good that is. So I will at least check that out before I ditch them. Yeah. Although, you know, you can, you can do SoundWorks. Is it sound? SonarWorks. I keep getting SonarWorks. Yeah. SonarWorks. And you can just buy their app, right? That's true. Whatever. What is it? 50 bucks. I think it's 50 bucks. Something like that. And it's a lot less than, you know, that you'll be spending an extra 120 or 120 minus, whatever 10 percent. so uh, uh man, my math is not good a little over 100 bucks a year um extra assuming they go to 1099 so yeah. i don't know we'll find out let's hear some music and then go to our third and final segment of the soundstage audio file podcast let's do it Brent Butterworth. And I'm Dennis Berger. And we are going to conclude this episode of the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast with a discussion of Soundstage's coverage of the audio video show 2022 in Warsaw, Poland. And this was, uh, we had two correspondents there. We had Doug Schneider, who's our founder, and Jason Thorpe, who's our turntable reviewer and also reviews some other stuff for us and is really into high-end audio. And so they went over there and checked out this show and brought back a lot of reports of a lot of interesting products. Yeah. 
So That's I should a talk a little bit. Show man, I should talk I, about I've the never, show. I've never been. Yeah, I want you to talk about it because it looks funky. Yeah, I like, and I mean once, that in yeah. a cool way. Yeah, I went uh, three or four years ago, and it was really shocking because um, you don't really think of Warsaw as a, a hotbed of anything in particular. At least you know <laughs> we Americans don't. However, uh, I, I went to this audio show uh, about four years ago, I think, and I was really shocked at how vital and exciting and well-attended a show it was. It basically took over, oh, the better part of two hotels in Warsaw, as well as they have rooms in like the the box seats of the stadium, you know, the the sort of uh, uh, sort of big, it's like big meeting rooms and stuff. And then they also have part of the stadium, it's the, the big soccer stadium that's right outside the middle of Warsaw. And then they also have... Um, some big sort of convention type areas down there as well, where they have the headphones and things like that. So it's a big show and it's really well Doug attended. did a post about that, by the way, he, he did a post about sort of the three different zones of the show. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. And it made you feel like you're there. It, but it was, it's shocking in so many ways in that it's just a, it's the second biggest audio show in Europe besides or behind um, the Munich show. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, by the way, this is, Warsaw in, you know, end of October. <laughs> this is not exactly a resort setting. Although Warsaw is a delightful town and it's very easy to get around um, and the food's good. So um, <laughs> anyway, um, there's a lot of, you know, sort of, you know, high-end audio tilting more towards European brands, some of which are active here in the U.S. and some of which are not. But you'll see, you know, the big names like uh, Sonus Faber and, and, and uh, uh audio research and, you know, the sort of the classic uh, B&W, the sort of classic names. But then you'll also see a lot of companies you, that you've never heard of because I was shocked to learn that that Poland has a really thriving high-end audio industry. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of the manufacturers are at this show are unfamiliar and the, the Poland hi-fi industry ranges from – stuff is almost like Harman, you know, it's like super well-engineered, super by the book, scientific to some just crazy far out there stuff. There's a really wide range there. And I just got a huge kick out of that. So what was your favorite product out of the coverage that was on here? Well, Jason did this post called the bargain of the show so far. Mm-hmm. that shocked me. I, I opened up this post curious to see what it was. And the first picture I see is of this gorgeous tube amplifier with this amazingly engineered basket. And it's just the, the fit and finish of this amp is just, I mean, it's a work of art. And so, I mean, you know, without reading the words, I'm looking at it thinking, Oh, this is going to be one of those things, right? You know, at $30,000, it's a bargain. Um, it's an amp by a company called Fez audio. Mm -hmm. It's called the Titania. And it turns out that it costs, what did it, what did Jason say here? 11,000 Polish Zlotskis, which translates into $2,300 us. Hmm, this thing pretty, is pretty incredible good price. looking. So I went, I went to look at their website, the Fez audio website. Mm-hmm. 
this thing is incredibly customizable. You can add things like Bluetooth. You can add oh, wow. a subwoofer pre-out. You can add, the pre like, I, I went and configured the thing like I would want it in a custom color, by the way. Well, not custom. They've got mm -hmm. a range of colors you can pick from, from Big Calm, which is kind of a, a plum color, and then there's this burning red, which is amazing. By the way, note to Fez Audio, make this thing in Corvette racing yellow tent coat. I will buy it. <laughs> um, but all of the add-ons that I did brought it up to 12,960 Zlotskis, and that Zlotis. is... It's not Zlotskis. Zlotskis is kind of like the sandwich shop. Oh, that's Zlotis. the sandwich, right. <laughs> There's no yeah. ski at the end, just Zlotis. I'm sorry, man. Am well, you've never been to showing. Poland. I've been to Poland. Yeah. I'm, I'm deep into the culture there. I, <laughs> yeah. So customize this thing as much as you want, and it comes out to... 2700 us wow. dollars and i'm looking at it going do i need do i need this i think i might I yeah think i might need this <laughs> it's, it's it's just yeah. it is a work of art i mean you look at this amp and you're like well there's no way i could i could afford the twenty five thousand dollars that thing costs but no it's more like twenty five hundred dollars yeah. is that is that kind of typical of the scene there or is this an outlier it's it's kind of a little all over the map. I would say the prices on the the stuff that's made in Poland are probably a little less than what you'd find on, you know, from a Focal or somebody like that. You know, from from the some of the sort of the real classic European brands, but they're not like crazy. There were a couple, you know, when Doug and I were there four or five years ago, there were a couple of really pretty crazy bargains that we found. It's really mm -hmm. nice stuff that was maybe. 25% less than you would pay for a sort of classic hi-fi brand. And oh, nice. I, I really, I, I have to point out that on this amp, you know, a lot of times you think like, okay, it's made in a country that's not a country that we're used to buying audio gear from. You think the design's going to be tacky. I usually do. And, but no, this, this thing looks nicer than, <laughs> it's a really cool, like matte black finish on it. It looks. Go like, to the site and, yeah. and put it in evergreen, like go to the evergreen color selection. And it's, it's holy crap. That is just, that is amazing. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> like, it's like one of the nicest design tube amps I've ever seen. Yeah. You would want this out in the room, no matter the room. Yeah. You want this thing like displayed with a light pointing at it, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's really cool. What so, was uh, what stood out to you about the show? Is there any product you wish you could have heard? Well, not surprisingly, it's a speaker. And mm -hmm. it's one that uh, Doug Schneider, our founder, wrote about with the, you know, click-getting headline, Silent Pounds Challenger Speaker is something special or a shite. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Kudos to Doug. Good headline. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so he 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 goes into a pretty deep dive on this speaker, and they're they're ten thousand euros a pair, which is uh, like about you know hundred dollars. Um, <laughs> no, pretty, no, it's about one to one. It's about one to one. Yeah, now. it's about one to one right now. Um, yeah. So, uh, and it's still a prototype, but it is it is one of the most unusual speaker designs and it looks really cool and mm -hmm. i just don't know they clearly know what they're doing they clearly have an idea here and i don't know if it sounds good but i really am dying to hear it because okay so what they do on the bottom the woofers are open baffle right they're they're open the the back of it's open and the front of it's open mm -hmm. so that kind of gets you away from some of the boxy resonant sound that bass has now of course your your bass the, the efficiency of the design goes way down. 
when you do yeah. that. You get a lot more bass if you have a cabinet on there. But, you know, if you throw in enough amp at it, it'll be fine. And it looks like they have some moderately efficient drivers on here. That's not these giant subwoofer drivers that have the big giant surrounds on them that take a colossal amount of power. So yeah. that's probably fine. But then you get up into the mid-range and the tweeter. The tweeter is a one-inch compression driver. Nothing, you know, uh, it's like a little horn sort of. And but yeah, the, it's a waveguide very similar to what we've seen uh, from Paradigm's new stuff. Yeah, like a very very deep waveguide. Yeah, it's a deep so. waveguide. It's quasi horn ish. So, mm -hmm. but the mid ranges, it's got a couple. I think six inch mid ranges or somewhere thereabouts. And so the mid ranges are flanking the tweeter in what's called a, a often referred to as a Diapolito arrangement. With you know, vertically you go from a woofer to a tweeter to a woofer. And which is pretty common, but the weird thing about it is though, there's a bunch of little vents. There's about, it looks like about probably, uh, 60 vents on either side of the mid range tweeter, mid range array. And the back cat, there is a back on that cabinet. And of course the tweeter itself is sealed, but there's a back on the mid range cabinet, but they vent out the front. So they're venting out out of phase. So the, the, the wave that is coming through those front vents is, is, you know, out of phase more or less. I mean, it's, I'm sure it depends on frequency and everything, but it's more or less out of phase with the mid range drivers. And so that kind of creates a lobe, right? So it kind of makes the speaker super directional horizontally. So it, and Doug actually asked if, you know, what the vertical dispersion is like. And the guy said, oh, the vertical dispersion is great. And we engineered for that and blah, blah, blah. But this is actually designed to create like a narrow beam horizontally in the mid-range, which is not normally what you would do with a speaker. Normally, you want to make the speaker have as broad a dispersion as possible, right? I mean, right. that's and that's all, you know, verified in the research that was done at the Canadian National Research Council and then at Harman and but this is flying in the face of that. Do you think it would perform more in terms of dispersion, more like an electrostat maybe? Yeah, that's a good point. It might. Okay. Because uh, electrostatic speakers are, well, they're not, yeah, they, the, the ones that are like really the, the, the completely flat panels as mm. opposed to or any panel speaker, a, a magnetoplaner like a, a magnet pan or something. The ones that have the really flat panels have pretty narrow dispersion Especially, you know, vertically, they have very narrow dispersion because they're so tall. And horizontally, they have fairly narrow dispersion because, you know, the panel is a foot and a half or two feet or whatever wide. And, yeah. of course, the wider the radiating surface, the narrow, the, the more the dispersion narrows at high frequencies. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe they're going after a panel speaker kind of sound. But we should say here, Doug's conclusion was, but... What I am quite sure of after researching even more about the Challenger Online is that it's not shite or close to that. In fact, it was my favorite product of Audio Video Show 2022. Yeah. So that says something. Doug's heard some Those speakers are big words, before. Man. Yeah. And this is a show he really digs. So, yeah, yeah it's really cool. So I'm kind of curious to hear that. I'd never heard of the company before. I don't think Doug had heard of the company before. Um, yeah, I've never heard of the company before. So, it and it's a weird company named Silent Pound. Uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, <laughs> I think Doug's initial statement, it's either something special or shite. <laughs> that's exactly, that's kind of the way I would have, that's kind of the way I would have reacted if I saw that. I'd be like, 
what the hell are they doing? And I'd have to go that's sit kind of, and listen. That's kind of the way you react to mashed potatoes, though, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Anyway, I'm curious about that. I wish I could have gone to the show. I hope to go to it again someday. Yeah. Some year, because it's a really cool show. It's really, really fun. And it's kind of a little bit of a, from a press standpoint, if you're in the press, it's kind of a little bit more of a small crew. There's a lot of really enthusiastic high-end audio press there, but it's not like the mm-hmm. kind of gazillion people that you see at Munich or at, at right. uh, Axpona or something like that. It's more of a, a, a small crew, and you kind of interact with them more, and that's really fun. Very cool. So, I think we're in danger of overstaying our welcome here this week, Brent. We've talked a lot. Let's cut it off. Credits. Let's cut it off, man. You want to do some credits? Yeah. Can I start? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Let's start with the music, which is done by my friend Terry Landry and yeah. uh, completely composed and performed by him. And these are these are actually demos that he's doing for a project that he has in the works, um, mm-hmm. which is an, uh, sort of audiophile quality tiki jazz album that he's planning. And But you have worked on these a little bit, right? Yeah, I've been playing around with them. This will be, I think, the first episode where people actually hear any of the work that I do. I've been just using them to sort of test my mastering skills, and I've done a couple of remasters on these things. And one of the interesting things I've found is I was just playing around with some of the tape emulators that I've found Mm -hmm. in terms of plugins. One of them, I took the demo that Terry did all in MIDI, and I just, you know, reasonably, to be expected, it was kind of a flat mix, and I ran it through. Because these are demos that he's just putting together as yeah, proof of concept yeah. to share with other musicians so he can get them to play yeah. on the record. Right. right. I ran it through it's a It's supposed tape. to be something that's playing on a podcast. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I took and ran it through a tape bus emulator and brought the level of the tape noise up until it was audible and then just brought it down like a couple of decibels. Yeah. And the interesting thing about it is all of a sudden it had more depth. There was like oh, cool. depth to the sound stage. So I'm learning some really, really interesting things about tape emulators playing around with Terry's music. So cool. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Now who mixed this thing? Well, well, Butterburger Productions is the oh, name good. we're using now. So one of us did it. Okay. <laughs> I don't think either of us is going to take credit for it. No. Um, we should say, though, that we are a presentation of the Soundstage Network, which is, as, as we said in the intro, a collection of nine microsites covering all sorts of topics in audio. Um, intro music and outro music by you, Mr. Brent Butterworth. Indeed. And who played with you on those tracks? I think nobody. Oh, okay, cool. I think just me, unless you can hear my dog in the background running around. <laughs> Maybe you can. All right, man. Well, um, I, oh, should, should, should we should we give a little teaser and say we're going to have a special guest next episode? We're going to have a special guest next episode. There. Is that all we're going to say? I said it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see you then, then. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.